overhauling Illinois income taxes, legalizing recreational marijuana, high school graduates leaving the state to go to college elsewhere, and a hectic week in the Illinois State House in Springfield where lawmakers were rushing to meet the first big deadline of the session. All that coming up on this, the inaugural episode of Capital Cast, a regular podcast from Capital News Illinois. This week, we're going to hear an exclusive interview with Governor J.B. Pritzker talking about his call for a graduated income tax, legalizing adult recreational marijuana, and the exodus of young college-bound students from Illinois, among other things. We'll also hear reporter Rebecca Anzel's interview with Illinois House Republican leader Jim Durkin, who explains why the GOP caucus is dead set against most of Pritzker's agenda. And you'll hear from reporters here at Capitol News Illinois, including Jerry Nowicki and Grant Morgan, talking about the week that was here in the State House. But first, let's turn to Governor Pritzker. Elected to office last year, he took over a state government that is deeply in debt, that's been running budget deficits year after year, and that has a looming crisis with its pension plans hanging over its head. I recently sat down with the governor to ask him about his plans for the state, starting with his plans for what's called a graduated income tax. And we also talked about a few other things that we hope you'll find interesting. Governor Pritzker, thank you for being here. Thank you, Peter. Glad to be with you. Um, obviously, the big issue on the table right now in the state house is your proposal for a graduated income tax. Uh, the ad wars have evidently started. I'm curious to know, you've put a plan out there that's very specific in terms of cutoff points, uh, the thresholds where different tax break tax brackets uh, would fall. What exactly are voters going to be asked to decide on? Is it going to be that plan or will it be a more general constitutional provision that just gives the state authority to do something like that? There will be a specific plan, no doubt. Uh, what I put out was a point for negotiation, for discussion with Democrats and Republicans, and I've been doing that very thing for the last two weeks, I guess, since we put the plan out. But we had to start somewhere. I think what I put out is a reasonable and responsible plan, the headline of which really is, number one, we need to overcome the biggest challenges that our state faces from a fiscal perspective. And number two, we need to have a plan that's fair to the middle class and people striving to get there and that asks the wealthiest people in the state to step up to the plate. So those are the basic principles. 97% of people mm -hmm. under my plan will get a tax break. Uh, and, you know, 3% will pay a little bit more. But this is all very important for the big headline purpose, stabilizing the state's finances and putting us on firm fiscal footing. Long term, though, isn't it a little bit risky to bake specific uh, tax brackets and specific tax rates into the Constitution? Because 20 years from now, that could be very difficult to change. Well, Peter, we're not going to ask the, the legislature to do that or, to, or the voters to do that. What we are going to ask them to do at the legislature is to first pass the constitutional amendment along with the rates as a separate bill. So in other words, the constitutional amendment requires a 60% vote of the legislature and then 60% of the public. The rates themselves require a majority, a simple majority. So those rates um, will be voted on, I assume, right about at the same time that the, the amendment would be voted on by the legislature. But here's the most important thing. 
the voters, when they get to the polls uh, in November of 2020, they will know what the rates will be when they are voting on the constitutional amendment. Okay, because that's important. Uh, Yes. uh, Think Big Illinois, the group that you support, um, has about polling data that shows a large number, large percentage of the population supports this kind of tax. It's unclear whether or not they trust the Illinois General Assembly to follow through on it. So you'd like to have a bill, just to be clear, saying if the constitutional amendment passes, this is what the, what the tax law will look like. I'm asking the legislature to vote on that so that when the voters, and I'm asking them to do it this spring, so when we're all done this spring with the legislative session, the voters will know going into the 2020 elections that if they vote for the constitutional amendment, they will get the tax brackets that I've proposed or that we have finally negotiated and agreed upon. Okay. I want to ask about higher education. A new report came out from the Board of Higher Education showing that nearly half of the Illinois high school graduates who go on to college are going to college outside of Illinois. Illinois is losing population, and in particular, it's losing its young population, college-bound population. Is that that's obviously not sustainable? How do you address that, or can you address that? Well, this is something I've been outspoken about and very vocal on the campaign trail for the last two years, and since I've become governor. One of the reasons that we're, we've lost population in Illinois is because over the last four years, with the underfunding, massive underfunding of universities and community colleges, students have looked at their prospects for. Uh, success in Illinois, their prospects for going to the program that they expected to go to, having the faculty they expected, being able to get the MAP grants, the scholarships that they'd hoped to, all of those things have been uncertain for them. And they look at that and say, why would I take the chance when there are these other universities that come to Illinois knowing that there's been uncertainty here? Uh, and that are recruiting our best talent to leave and say, saying simply, Illinois is uncertain for you. You don't know what your future will look like if you go to a university in Illinois. I think that's terrible. And that's a result of two years of a budget crisis and more than 10 years of massive underfunding of universities and community colleges. I am seeking to reverse that. So I put in my budget a, an increase um, uh, allowing 16,000 more kids to get MAP grants, our scholarships, mm-hmm. um, working our way toward having about 70,000 more kids eligible and getting MAP grants, and the AIM High program, which is, for, which is merit-based scholarships for the kids who earn those. Uh, and then finally, I increased funding for the first time in a while in universities uh, by 5%. In addition to losing students and directly related to the underfunding, uh, Illinois has, the universities have been losing some faculty, um, a brain drain, so to speak, in Illinois. And now we have regional universities like Western Illinois uh, and maybe even Eastern Illinois that are in some serious fiscal uh, problems. Uh, Is that the kind of thing that can snowball, uh, that's almost impossible to turn around and reverse. Oh, we're going to turn it around. But remember, this was, again, the Republican governor believed that it was okay to just leave these universities on their own, 
let them figure it out for themselves. Um, and he stood, uh, you know, and held the state hostage for several years. And the result of that was that the universities would not only lose funding, but lose faculty. Because what happens is, mm -hmm. just as I said, the university students choose to mm -hmm. leave the state because of the uncertainty. Other universities come to Illinois and say, oh, you've got some pretty good faculty here. We're mm -hmm. going to tell them about all the uncertainty, remind them of all the uncertainty they're experiencing, and attract them to our university. So, yes, that happens. But I'm turning that around. Not only are we funding our universities, but also I believe that it's time for us to go on a campaign to let everybody know why Illinois universities are terrific places for kids to go to school and for faculty to come work. And it's important to me as the, the, you know, the head of the state, as the governor of the state, as the state's chief marketing officer to make sure that businesses know that we've got great kids who graduate and that we've got an endless supply of uh, these terrific college students that are coming through and that our faculty are training them well for the jobs that businesses want. That's all part of what we need to do going forward. But funding our universities properly is number one. I want to change subjects again. Uh, gun violence. Uh, you said shortly after the shooting in Aurora that you and your administration were going to be looking for ways, uh, stricter enforcement of the state's gun laws and keeping guns out of the hands of people who aren't supposed to have them. What have you come up with so far? Well, I think you may have seen that the state police uh, did a, a, a pretty good initial look at the problem, um, and they've begun to address that problem by issuing new rules, making sure that local police departments are being notified immediately when there's a, an incident of somebody's FOID card being removed. Um, we want to put together task forces for going after the guns of people who refuse to turn them in. Um, and all of those things are just a beginning. I know that there is an effort in the legislature to look at some uh, measures that would strengthen our ability to get that done. Um, it, you know, look, this is something that's a, a horrible tragedy. The, the idea that, that uh, someone whose gun should have been removed, that their FOID card was removed, um, that somehow the background check uh, wasn't fully um, done on him in the first place. Um, it seems to me that we all ought to be in favor of universal background checks. We all ought to be in favor of keeping guns out of the hands of people who have convictions and shouldn't have uh, a gun because they've got violence in their past. So we're going to look for ways to make sure that we enforce the laws that are on the books uh, and make sure that this never happens again. That incident, that kind of incident, shocks the conscience in a way to see so many people killed in one uh, one event in a setting where you wouldn't expect to see gun violence. In your hometown of Chicago so far this year, there have been more than 60 gun-related homicides. Do you have any thoughts about why people react so much more to a workplace shooting in Aurora than they do to the just day-to-day -day gun violence in a place like Chicago? I think it's the mass nature of it that occurred uh, in Aurora. I think, um, you know, there's a drip, drip, drip that occurs, unfortunately. It's not just Chicago, let's be clear. Certainly. Rockford, Peoria, other places in the state have very high incidence of gun violence. In fact, it's unfortunate, but some of those other cities have a higher incidence per capita of gun violence. 
Um, we've got to address it everywhere in the state. Uh, it is unfortunate that it, because of the drip, 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 people don't pay as much attention. But when some big event occurs, um, it's it's something that I think shocks everybody into uh, you know clarity that we need to do something. Um, I hope we never have another incident like this, and I hope that people will begin to pay attention to the drip, drip, drip. But even if they don't, I do. And I'm very focused on making sure that we reduce gun violence across the state. One of the things that occurred over the last four years in Illinois under the previous administration is an underfunding of those programs that interrupt violence. Mm-hmm. The things that, that stop people from getting into violent situations mm-hmm. in the first place, the programs, and the programs that that help people get into jobs, get the skills that they need so that they won't end up in these situations. Um, you know, sometimes people say a job is, is, you know, the best prevention mechanism against gun violence. That's true, but there's so much that goes into helping people get a job, giving them the skills and the education they need, the support at home, child care assistance and other things like that. So we've got to put all these things together in order to prevent gun violence going forward. I want to ask about legalizing marijuana. Uh, your budget proposal includes $170 million in new licensing fees. Can you talk about where that number came from? Because there's going to be some pushback from existing growers and dispensaries about letting too many new entrants into the market. Well, some of them will be new entrants, there's no doubt about it. Some of them will be existing growers uh, that want to get into the adult use cannabis side of the business, Uh, but they'll all have to pay a licensing fee to get into the business. It makes sense for the state of Illinois to do that. It costs the state of Illinois money to put together the, uh, you know, the schedule of regulations to enforce and so on. Um, And so it's fair. Uh, in my opinion, for us to do it. Uh, And it does raise money for the state. But more important than that is the uh, legalization of adult-use cannabis will will bring fairness into a criminal justice system that has been unfair, in particular to people of color, uh, more often than to others. Uh, And that's one of the biggest reasons why we need adult-use cannabis, why we need to legalize Um, A second big one, of course, is to keep people safe. Um, People are Mm -hmm. buying it. They're getting it today. It's readily available today. So if we can regulate it and make sure that it's safe for people, um, you know, we can do a good job of keeping it out of the hands of teens. And we can also make sure that we know where it's grown, what the strains are, uh, what the potency is. That's very important also. uh, And that we foster an industry that will create jobs and, um, and, and economic growth for the state. Okay, finally, I want to ask you two things, a couple of issues that are even higher on people's minds this time of year. NCAA tournament. Yes. Do you have a favorite team? Well, I, I have to admit that I, I was rooting for Bradley yesterday. We were in the car driving. So and close. It was so close. I mean, that, that really came down to the last, you know, four minutes. Yeah. Um, and I was rooting for them. I, I'm a, a, a fan of Bradley's. Uh, and certainly they were an underdog going into that game. And I mm-hmm. love an underdog. Uh, so, uh, so I was sorry to see them lose. Um, I, you know, I went to Duke University undergraduate and so i'm a blue devils fan um and seeing that there are no illinois teams that are left um in the ncaa's uh, i have to root for duke okay and finally uh by the time people listen to this baseball season will actually be underway and i googled i tried to find out never saw anything 
you a Cubs fan or a White Sox fan? Well, you know, I'll say to start with that, as I say all over the state, I'm for all the teams that the people of Illinois are for. But the truth is also that I live on the north side of Chicago and I am a Cubs fan. Fair enough. Governor, thank you very much. Thank you. Nice to meet you. And now to find out about the Republican perspective on all this, we turn to reporter Rebecca Anzel. She sat down recently with House Minority Leader Jim Durkin. He's from the Chicago suburb of Western Springs. And she started off by asking him why Republicans in the House, who are united in their opposition to a graduated income tax, think it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea because what it does is it places the individual rates that will come from a graduated system in the hands of the Democrats who in the last 10 years have raised taxes upon every Illinoisan under the guise that they would be able to settle all the state's bills and all the economic woes of the state. They did that twice. It never happened. No Illinoisan should trust the Democrat leadership in the state of Illinois with playing with rates if it's not going to be baked into the constitutional amendment. That's the first question I have for the Democrats. If you pass the constitutional amendment with the rates which you've stated, will you have that baked into the Constitution? That'll I, th- I think their response will be no. And I think that that should be an indication that they are going to work and they're going to play with those rates as much as they can. It sounds very easy, politically expedient, but history will show that states that do have this type of tax structure eventually run deficits. Small businesses and those of means leave the state of Illinois. There's nothing that says that they have to stay here in the Constitution. That means they have to lower their, ra- their rates middle class eventually will have to be the ones that pay the price. Uh, We've researched this issue and to suggest that we still have to continue to raise taxes on Illinoisans. And I look at this as a middle class job killing tax increase is, again, the difference between Republicans and the Democrats. It hasn't worked for the Democrats. No one should trust them to say that this is just going to be a tax against the, the the 1% of Illinoisans. That's just not going to be the case. Maybe that's how they're going to spin it right now. But if this passes, within two years, you will see massive deficits and the rates will be changed where the middle class will be the ones responsible for picking up the difference. And you know what? What I think is important, before you start asking for Illinoisans for more money, what are you going to do about reforming Illinois' business community? What are you going to do about reforming Illinois' publican disaster? This year's budget with the governor is seeking to short almost $900 million in payments to our budget system. This is the type of, of smoke and mirrors and, and you know, games that were played under Rod Blagojevich. It is going to put further stress upon our public pension systems, but there's no desire to reform the systems. To me, that is the greatest failure in this budget request, is by extending out the amortization, shorting the pension systems, but doing nothing to fundamentally reform the systems to save them for those who are part of it, but also to save the 95% of the Illinoisans who are not participants in this who are going to have to pay for it. So, I mean, that, that's what our, our caucus is saying. When are you going to fix Illinois government? What are you going to do about 
the things that we've been preaching about for years, about bringing efficiencies and confidence back in state government. One of your senior colleagues called me in the past couple of days, and we were talking about the pensions in Illinois and how they are in need of reform. He had said, you know, if Governor Pritzker had offered to, instead of taking the revenue that would be generated from um, the graduated income tax, instead of taking it and putting it toward uh, increased spending, which seems to be what he wants to do. He asked for $1.2 billion of additional spending over the previous year. And uh, when we're in a budget crisis, it seems to be that that is, doesn't make sense. This representative said, instead of doing that, if the governor had proposed to pay down some of the pension debt, perhaps use it to help fix that problem, perhaps the caucus would have maybe supported or maybe negotiated? No one in that, my caucus has ever raised that issue. We feel that this is unfair. Uh, it is another uh, brand of pickpocketing by the Democrats on Illinois businesses, small businesses, large businesses, and also taxpayers. Uh, I'm not sure what member of the caucus is stating that, but I'm going to go back to what I originally said. If we do that, and then we're asking every taxpayer of Illinois to, to bail out these systems, less than 5% of the people in Illinois are, are participants in these systems. It should not be the state of Illinois and every taxpayer that should be the ones on the hook. These systems need to be reformed internally. That's plain and simple. That is the only way I will accept any type of pension reform. But we cannot put that burden on Illinoisans when you look back historically of how we got into the system. Pension holidays, shorting the pensions. Who's been running government for the past 20 years? It's been the Democrats. It's been the same speaker. It's the same people running the Senate. Are the ones who passed and put votes on, on the pension holidays. Now, I will say that systems were overly generous. People are living longer than the actuaries believe they would. Those are all things that we're dealing with. But when you do the types of things they've done in the past, which by shorting the pension systems or the holidays, they use that money to say that we balance the budget. I mean, how disingenuous can you be? But that, I just don't agree with that representative, and I can say that my caucus doesn't agree with that philosophy either. Um, you know, we have to live up to our obligations to make sure that these things are going to be funded, that these systems don't go in the tank where they will no longer be able to pay out the benefits. But I also be, feel very strongly that these systems have to, have to be the ones, and the members have to be the ones that participate in reforming the system. It's not the balance of the state who should be responsible for it. So moving on to higher education, nearly half of Illinois high school graduates who, who go to college, um, they're attending out-of-state schools, and they're not coming back in a lot of cases. Illinois is already losing population. It's estimated that once the census is completed, the state's going to lose one of its um, representatives in the federal government. Obviously, it's, this isn't a sustainable problem. Do you think there's anything that, that can be done? Um, do you think Governor Pritzker has released a plan or something that you think might help? I haven't seen a plan from the governor, but I'm willing to work with him on it. Um, I come from a family of, of I have seven brothers, Four of them went to the University of Illinois. I went to Illinois State University. We believe in our public university systems. And I have a daughter that may be going to a public university in Illinois at some point. And I am more and more that I, I 
go to these schools are more impressed with the operations and also the product they, 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 they produce. Um, I can't say that the budget problem is what we had over the past four years is the fault of all these kids leaving the state of Illinois and families. But I will say this. The tax burden that parents are looking at year in, year out, when all they see are tax increase from you know, back under Governor Quinn. I remember the words, we're gonna, this is we got the time for us to pay the bills, time for us to be the adults. Never happened. Never happened. And then two years ago, we need to get back to the business of running the state. We need to be responsible. We need to be adults, blah, blah, blah. A tax increase. Another tax increase on top of that. It did nothing. It did nothing to reduce the debt. They, meaning the Democrat majority. So I think the parents, and I think kids, who are understanding that at some point, the tax bill is going to be due. And do I want to be here in Illinois to pay it? And I, as a father, I, 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 I'm concerned. I don't want my daughter to leave Illinois. I mean, we've all done very well here. My family's done very well in the Chicago area, and so so many people that I know. So that's why, instead of saying that we're going to find another way to increase taxes, increase spending, it sends the wrong message out to people who, and young young adults, who are looking for that opportunity to, you know, break through and do their thing, move out, start that job, start that family, and enjoy life but working hard. But what do they got to show for it? You know? What are you getting out of that investment you make every April with the Illinois Department of Revenue? That is a concern I have. So we can, we can stop this and, and by getting our financial act in order, not asking for any more taxes from Illinoisans, reduce spending, and make a commitment to reducing down our debt. If we can show that, and, and the, the Wall Street will recognize that and the uh, rating agencies saying that Illinois is in a, a path towards solvency. We can get our credit rating up. That's the type of stuff that people will recognize and say that people got their act together. And that's going to encourage investment in the state of Illinois. It's not going to encourage businesses from leaving. So it's easy to say that the four years of the budget impasse uh, is the cause of all problems. It's just not true. It's easy to blame the last guy. I get it. I understand it. But we've got great institutions here. I'll work with the governor on uh, funding higher ed to the best we can, considering as long as we have the resources to be able to do it. Now, that's one of the problems we have in Springfield. We make, we, I will say this, that the majority has for years have said we're going to fund everything under the sun, but they're not willing to sh find a way to pay for it. So it sounds good. It sounds great on a press release and on a campaign piece, but it's not reality. So I'd rather deal with reality. And the reality is we got to live within our means. If we can do that, we show stability with our state finances, get our credit rating back to a good place, we're going we're gonna to see a change in that. It's going to be recognized by employers. And when kids leave college, they're going to realize, you know what, these guys are here to stay and they're willing to grow and invest. And I'm willing to be part of that plan. One way that Governor Pritzker wants to um, balance his budget, pay for things, is to legalize marijuana. Um, hopes to bring in revenue from a recreational program that's legal, um, sell, you know, licenses to bring in money. Um, what do you think of, of legalizing recreational marijuana? Uh, do you think that that's a, a, a way that might um, maybe draw on some, some revenue and help uh, the state, I don't know, maybe pay for higher education? Well, 
I mean, I, I, why not? Why stop there? Why don't you have father and son night at the casinos? You know, another great way we can, uh, you know, we can make and raise money in Illinois. I am not sold on this concept. I think it's the. It is a fast-moving industry that I believe hasn't been thoroughly vetted. It took me a couple of years to get my arms around the uh, medical marijuana, the compassionate use of marijuana, and I finally have come to the point where I think that there is value for individuals who have debilitating diseases to help them in chronic diseases to be able to fight off just the terrible, terrible pain that they've endured. However, to say that we're just now, which we haven't finished the pilot program yet. We have not finished that. Now we're going to say that up to 30 grams of marijuana is going to be legal, and that, uh, and I'm not sure if that's 30 grams a day you can purchase. But I do believe that Illinois should not be part of this Petri dish or societal experiment because we think it's just great because the West Coast is seeing money off it. But this is not the way in which I believe that we should balance our budget. We need to take our time. I don't support it at all. I don't. Because what it also is going to do, you open up a market, you have X amount of distributors and, and uh, cultivators. Those who are in the illegal trade will find a way to compete. They will undercut their prices. And they will continue to sell narcotics, marijuana, all over the state of Illinois with a product that is going to be who knows what's in it. We don't know exactly what the THC levels that, these, uh, that the proponents are asking for. This is not the marijuana of the 70s and the 80s. This is highly concentrated uh, product that could have very, very dramatic effects upon many people, particularly teenagers, young adults, and very young kids who see now that we passed, you know, we, we finally stopped, we got Tobacco 21, which I'm, I'm grateful we did. But the reason I supported it was uh, because of the explosion on kids who are vaping, uh, using Juul and those products, but I just don't think it's the right statement for us. I will not support the legalization of, of marijuana. I'll do everything I can to stop it. Uh, but if the governor thinks that this is a responsible way for us to help balance our budget, I don't think the state getting into the sale of weed is the right statement that we're sending to Illinoisans. Shortly after the shooting in Aurora, Governor Pritzker's administration had said that they were looking for ways to enforce the gun laws that the state already has on the books, try to keep firearms out of the hands of people who just shouldn't have them. Um, do you think the administration has had an adequate response to that shooting? Do you think that there's something else it could be doing? I think that the, the, the governor was at the Aurora facility that day, and I give him credit for being there. It's important that he shows that this is a... It's a, it's a problem for the state and that he is concerned for the victims and also for the area. It's a very difficult argument to be able to finesse in Springfield that if we pass a law, it's going to solve all the problems of the world. Um, I take a, a real balanced approach towards the Second Amendment. I like to think that I'm going to support things that I believe will make sense, that can help stop firearms from getting in the hands of those who should not have them. But I also think sometimes we overreach. And it, we have a split in Illinois about those who are purists on the Second Amendment and other ones who feel differently. This is where we need to negotiate. I know that there's discussions going on right now in which I've um, selected a few members of my caucus to participate with a few of the Democrats to see if we can find something that's reasonable in this situation. I think we all, anybody can, any person who's been flagged and they've been, their FOID card has been suspended, doesn't mean they're not going to get a gun. 
you can find so many guns anywhere at black market from a friend. But if we can at least some speed bumps into the system on the FOID issue, those who have had their FOID card suspended, revoked for, particularly on those who have had it for mental illness or crime or domestic violence, there are some people who FOID cards have lapsed. And I don't think that they should be punished because of an error or oversight. So that's the balance that we need to take. But I believe the governor is, right now, I respect what he's doing, which is saying, let's, let's look at the issue and take it slow. Because if we do it, let's do it right. Let's not overreact and do a knee-jerk reaction, which is what we often do when we have horrible crimes that happen, particularly what, we have, what happened in Aurora. So I have my group that's going to meet. We'll discuss. We'll make a determination if we think this strikes the right balance uh, between protecting safety of Illinois citizens and but also not reaching too far into the Second Amendment and causing uh, unnecessary uh, opposition. I'd like to backtrack a little bit to the graduate income tax again. Senate Republicans recently announced a plan, a proposal, to add an amendment to the Constitution that would change the threshold of votes needed to change any sort of tax in the state. That would include the governor's uh, graduate income tax proposal should you know the entire thing be successful. But I mean, it would apply to any tax structure now as well. What do you think? Do you think that's a good idea? I'm all for it. And if the Senate passes it, I'll be glad to sponsor it in the House. So moving on to things that people might think are more important than anything we've discussed, or maybe less, it depends if they're sports fans. Um, NCAA tournament's going on right now. I don't think there are any Illinois teams currently in it, but I don't watch basketball, so who knows. Which team are you supporting? Well, the team that I supported at the beginning before the first round, you know, it's always look for the long shots. I have a friend of mine who uh, has three kids that go to the University of Vermont, and they made it into the playoffs this year, the Vermont, Vermont Catamounts, which is a large-sized cougar. I was for the Catamounts. They lost, but you know what? Good for them. Uh, whoever heard of University, University of Vermont ever making the NCAA basketball? Maybe it's a, there's a maple syrup uh, you know, tournament that comes up, which I think that they may be top seed. But you know what? I was all for the, uh, for the Vermont. I, I just love to see these small teams. Uh, them and the other team that I saw, which was great, was Wolford. They knocked off a, a really good team in the first round. They just barely lost to Kentucky over the weekend. So, you know, it's these small teams that I see them challenging. It's like Loyola from a couple years ago. How could you not love what Loyola was doing? A team out of nowhere uh, knocking off these these huge Division I uh, institutions. So I go for the, uh, for the little guy and for the long shots. And then last question. Um, by the time this podcast debuts, baseball season will have started. Um, which team do you have your eye on? Which team do you support every year? I and my family... Uh, we're raised to be White Sox fans, and uh, we go back uh, back to the 60s. I remember going to the old White Sox park, and uh, for those of you who are my age, uh, there used to be a tavern on 35th Street called McCuddy's that myself and five of my brothers, I have seven brothers, bartended at at one point, and that's where Babe Ruth used to drink between innings. It was. So I'm a White Sox fan, and uh, I'm, I've come around. I like the Cubs. I like what they're doing. And I know some people in this room are making some faces at me because in Chicago, you need to be one or the other. But you know what? I like the product they're putting on the field. But I also, I'm a 
I have high expectations for the White Sox. Some people believe since they didn't pick up this Manny Machado that the season's lost. I feel otherwise. I think it's going to be a good year, uh, and I may actually go to a game. Uh, so I, I, baseball season is exciting, and uh, usually about August. Uh, I hope we, we have better luck this year than we've had over the past uh, 12. <laughs> so anyway, I'm a White Sox fan, and uh, it's, it's a great rivalry. I go to the uh, City Series every year, and it's uh, a lot of fun. So we're back in the Capitol News, Illinois newsroom here in the State House in Springfield. And we'd like to introduce you, first of all, to uh, the members of the team, including our bureau chief, Jeff Rogers. Jeff, uh, can you, for people who don't understand what Capitol News, Illinois is, or they haven't heard of it yet, can you explain how this project got started? Yeah, uh, Capital News Illinois is a news service which provides uh, free content, uh, free coverage of state government to almost every newspaper in Illinois. And it was started by the uh, Illinois Press, it's run by the Illinois Press Foundation, but started with a discussion of the foundation board, um, essentially talking about the uh, loss of bureaus here at the State House and what the foundation could do to help that situation and help uh, Illinois newspapers cover state government. And the answer that this discussion started about two years ago, the answer that the board came up with was to form a news service, which would provide coverage of state government, which is what we're doing now. Um, it took about two years for the board to come up with the, um, the funding, the structure of how they wanted this to work. Um, and then I was brought on board to be the director of the foundation, but to um, get the news service started. That was in October that I came on board and we pretty much started right away uh, building the new service, uh, hiring the team, and getting started so we could launch in January. Now, we have seen a decline in statehouse coverage, not just in Illinois, but nationwide, uh, as newspapers downsize. And I think there's always been a question on the part of many people who own and manage newspapers about how many people are really reading the statehouse news stuff. Uh, what's been the experience with Capital News Illinois? Uh, it's it's been overwhelming, actually. I mean, a lot more than we we expected early on. We've got uh, we've been in 279 different newspapers. Um, 46 of those are dailies, and the rest are weekly newspapers, and they're all over the state. Circulation ranges from 140 to uh, the Chicago Sun Times is the largest paper that we've been published in. So it really is all over the state. Um, all different shapes and sizes of newspapers um, running. Uh, we've had, I think, 3,000 plus stories now published in different newspapers, and much of those on, on the front page as well. So it's been really strong. So is it fair to say, from what we've seen so far, there is an appetite? Oh, in the absolutely. Public. Yeah, and that was immediate. Um, as Even as we were building this up, we were talking to the different newspapers, letting them know that we were going to be providing the service, and we got a lot of feedback early on about their interest um, in publishing our content. And as soon as we started providing it, um, the numbers shot up right away. It wasn't like it, it needed some time to build momentum from day one. We had a lot of newspapers publishing our content consistently. Okay. And so we have a team of four people here, uh, including myself. And I want to bring in Jerry Nowicki. Jerry? How are you, Peter? Very good. Uh, so, looking back at the week we've just had, it's been a very hectic week. It, uh, Friday was the deadline for committees to get substantive bills 
pushed to the floor of the House, and so there was a lot of action in committees and a lot of floor action. Uh, but big picture, we heard from Governor Pritzker and we heard from Leader Durkin about uh, this graduated income tax, and you've covered that quite a bit. Uh, what are you hearing outside of this building about that idea? There's um, quite an ad campaign going. Yeah, for- they're, they're uh, two uh, what they call dark money groups. Um, they're uh, the funders, the people funding it are uh, not, they're currently not disclosed publicly. So these, these are called 501c4 organizations. They can spend money uh, for political purposes, but don't have to disclose their donors. Right. So the two main groups are Ideas Illinois, which is a business-tied uh, group that is opposed to the tax, and then Think Big Illinois, which is uh, Pritzker has admitted to donating to, um, which is for the tax. And they both started ads uh, this week that's in its 20 months out uh, from when it could actually be put on the ballot. So we could actually be seeing TV ads for the next year and a half uh, yeah. on this one issue. Yeah, it certainly seems like that. Okay. Uh, and then what are uh, there's been some polling data out there about how the public, how the general public feels about this. What's that showing? Yeah, so Paul Simon Institute poll uh, shows that it has about uh, 66% support in the general public um, for this tax. And is Illinois is actually obviously going to try to kick that number down while Think Big will try to get it as high as they can because it's likely going to need 60% uh, support on the ballot um, to become constitutional amendment. And it appears to have just above that amount, right. that support right now. So opponents really only have to chip away uh, a little bit. Assuming that these polling numbers are accurate, opponents really just need to chip away 5 6%. Yeah, it, it depending on turnout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's going to be big. But uh, they can get to the polls. Yeah, twenty months though is an eternity in politics, so. Yeah, I wonder how if the ads are just going to wear out, or people are going to be desensitized to the whole issue, or what. It'll be interesting to watch. Okay, and turn now to Grant Morgan. Uh, you've been covering another part of the governor's overall budget plan, legalizing sports gambling. Um, U.S. Supreme Court ruled last year that states now have the right to do that. Uh, a lot of states are getting into it. Uh, what's the governor looking at here? How much potential revenue are we really looking at? Well, already in his proposed budget for next year, there was more than $200 million that was said to be coming from sports betting legalization. And that would mostly come from the selling of 20 of these licenses at $10 million a pop. Um, but the problem is is that there are many different plans that lawmakers are trying to sort through at the moment, and that $10 million license, that's only a part of some of those plans. And would the state also then get uh, a cut of the profits uh, from the sports betting? I, I've heard that it's a pretty small margin there. Yeah, sports betting, from what I understand, um, there are a lot of small margins. There's a lot of potential loss for the people who are running the betting. Um but I think the bigger issue, the biggest issue so far is that it's in the earliest stages of development right now, and there are five to six different plans that all these different interested parties are advocating for. And so lawmakers and their staff are going to have to, in the next few months, find a way to merge them all into one plan that everyone can agree on, which is going to be really, really tough according to, or you know, based on the first hearing about it Thursday. 
And doesn't this happen like every time there's a discussion about gambling? You've got people who have interests in horse racing and in dog racing and the people who own the casinos and the people who sell the lottery tickets. Uh, is there, have they ever gotten all on the same page about uh, you know, what kind of bill they would like to see? I think the most popular model right now is the, it's, it's the New Jersey model. It sort of accommodates um, brick-and-mortar sports betting, you know, at, at the state's uh, casinos and racetracks, and it also accommodates online and mobile betting, which is going to be huge. It's already huge, and it's only going to get bigger in the future as more people, you know, start using their phone for that kind of a thing. Um, some of the plans don't have that aspect, such as one that would be uh, overseen by the Illinois Lottery, and so there are some, some plans, you know, people are kind of weeding out early, but I think the most popular is the New Jersey model plan. Okay, now, and turning to Rebecca Anzel, who's been busy covering that issue that just won't go away. Uh, it seems to be around year after year. Abortion. Uh, the U.S., many people are now thinking that with a more conservative U.S. Supreme Court, uh, Roe versus Wade could be severely limited or even overturned, and states are now jumping in to fill what might be a gap in federal law. A lot of states are enacting they're passing bills that say in the event Roe versus Wade is overturned we're going to ban abortion in our state Illinois is kind of going a different direction there Illinois is looking to protect women's right to choose whether to get an abortion there are two pieces of legislation that are being focused on one would repeal a law that mandates minors notify their parents before getting an abortion that one seems to be moving. Mm-hmm. Um, this The sponsor, actually, Senator Sims, was featured in a uh, phone call with national media organized by Planned Parenthood as an example of what states are doing to protect um, a woman's right to choose. The other piece of legislation is called the Reproductive Health Act. It repeals Illinois' current abortion law and replaces it with what both opponents and proponents consider to be... Um, language that would make Illinois the most liberal state in the country for uh, reproductive health care. And Governor Pritzker has even said he wants Illinois to be, forget the exact words, but the most progressive uh, state in terms of protecting women's reproductive rights. Uh, Does he have the support in the legislature to do that? It is unclear. when the Reproductive Health Act was first announced that it would be introduced and then was introduced, there's this big fervor, there's a lot of movement. Um, opponents kind of quickly organized uh, and rallied against it. Um, proponents also quickly organized. There were 40 sponsors that quickly signed on to the Reproductive Health Act in the House. Um, and then the Reproductive Health Act kind of stalled. Um, in the Senate, it never moved out of Uh, committee in the House it got knocked into a subcommittee which is kind of like uh, like a death sentence almost I mean it's still early in session I know that this week was the deadline for House committees to move out of uh, for House bills excuse Mm -hmm. me to move out of committee but that doesn't always mean anything Um, these deadlines tend to be squishy as they say (laughs) it's a good way of putting it I mean we'll see what happens when I spoke with representative Cassidy who is the one that's carrying the bill in the House she said she she wasn't worried and that she's still looking to move on it. The ACLU and Planned Parenthood are um, also big proponents of this measure, and they also said they're not ready to give up on it this session. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. 
Okay, and we're going to leave it at that. That is our first and inaugural episode of Capital Cast, a product of Capital News Illinois, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.